Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off. We're reaching the conclusion of Tractate Nazir. And uh, we are on the bottom of page 63b. Four lines in the bottom. So it quotes the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, what's an example of a tumma, of an impurity which could be known versus a deep impurity which no one knows about? And uh, we said if a Nazar, after the Nazar begins the purification process, starts already, concludes his Nazirus and starts the purification process, either he shaves, according to the rabbis, when they sprinkle the blood, then, then he finds out that he was unknowing, unbeknownst to him. He became impure, he came in contact with a corpse, so it depends. If it was a tomb of the deep, then he's then he's oh, he's okay. He doesn't have to. He doesn't forfeit anything. He doesn't have to do it over again. But if not, then he has to do it over again. So the Mishnah gives an example. If there was a body floating on top of the water, he went into the into a cave of water. If there was a body floating on top of the water, so then the, even if he happened not to see it, but it's 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 obvious. He could have seen it. He should have seen it. So then he forfeits everything. Has to do it over again. But if the body, let's say, was trapped on the, in the bottom, on the floor of the, of the cave, and then it's possible nobody knows about it, no one ever saw it, no one, how could anyone know there's a body there? Not that anyone killed him, or drowned, you know, just he got trapped and drowned, then he doesn't have to do it over. Okay, that's the mission. It's like the Gimbal Tzafa. Where did he find floating in the water? Corpse. A corpse, right. Yeah. How we discuss a floating tumba. In the case of a shed, in the case of a dead rat, a dead mouse, right? Right, or that um, that carcass of an animal, or the eight creeping creatures. Usually, creeping creatures don't impart impurity, even even their corpse. But the eight creeping creatures that the Torah lists, like lizards, right? Uh, and then their dead bodies do contaminate. So if the dead body of one of these creatures was floating in water, so Tanya, we learned the Braise, so it doesn't, it doesn't impart in Tumma. We learned the Braise, Suffolk Tumma, Suffolk. What if it's in doubt? I don't know. There was a Tumma floating in the water, but I don't know whether he touched it or not. Whether the water was in the container, a swimming pool or a container, or in the ground, or was in the ground to hide Right. Maybe it was like a, in a bathtub. <laughs> or it was in the ground. Um, his title is pure. Why? Why? It's a private domain. Any impurity in a private domain, usually you're strict. But here, but here, right. But here you say that he remains pure. Shimon argues, of Shimon, and Shimon says it depends. If if the water is in the container, then it's tummy. The karka, if it's in the ground, it's tar. Okay, we continue on 64a. Now the Gemara is going to explain what's the reason. My time with Tanakam, what's the reason of the Tanakam? It's in a private domain. Any doubt, you should be strict. So the Amr Abiyasabar Abdumi says, the reason is, it says, the Torah discusses 
creeping a creeping animal, creeping uh, creatures, it says, any swarming thing that swarms. In other words, wherever it swarms. And look, even it says, and then it's written, it's written on the ground. It says in Parsha Shemini, so it says shedits are shedits, a, a creepy thing that swarms, a swarming thing that swarms. Allah, it's on the earth, on the ground. Meaning, okay, how is it possible? Here you say wherever it swarms, and here you say only if it's on the earth. So the answer is what the pasuk is coming to tell me. If you definitely contacted it, then it's tummy anywhere, wherever it swarms. Suffolk Magoy, but if it's in a questionable, then it's Torah, then it's pure. It only in the ground. No, in the ground, if it's crawling on the ground, then even if it's in doubt, if it's in a private domain, if you if you may have touched it, you're you have to be strict and we and you're impure. But if it's in floating in the water, it's not on the ground. It's floating in the order. So on one hand, the Titus says, wherever it swarms, it contaminates. Now then, it's only in the ground. So the, the Titus is making a distinction that if you definitely touched it, it doesn't matter where it swarms. But if you didn't definitely touch it, you're in doubt. So if it's on the earth, then you're tummy. If it's not on the earth, you're not tummy. This is different. Even though in general, whenever in doubt, you're strict. in the private domain. Here, the Titus is telling us, that a creeping thing does not contaminate if it's in doubt, if it's not, if it's in water, unless it's on the earth, it's on the ground. If it's in the water, or not, and it doesn't matter where where the water is, whether it's in a vessel or it's in the earth, ground, doesn't matter. That explains the reason of Tanakhama. I'm Shimon who makes a distinction whether the water is in a vessel. And then you say, and then you say it is tummy, and or if it's in the ground, you say it's pure. Where does he learn that from? So Ula, Ula said, Amar Ula. See if it says Achmayon. It says in the pasuk that a, a wellspring and a boy, a cistern, a collection of a mikvah will be pure. So Achmayon, see it says. It says when they gave in the blossom whoever touches the dead carcass will be tummy. Okay, so how is it possible? Is it pure or is it tummy? Are you pure or are you tummy? So he says, okay, so tsafa bekalim tummy. If it is floating in water that's in a container, it's tummy. Bekarka, yeah, it's floating in water on the ground, it's torn. If the creeping, the dead creeping uh, creature is floating in the water, in the well or in the water, then in the ground, which is in the ground, a pit that's in the ground dug into the ground, a well is in the ground, or the wellspring is in the water, then you're pure. But if it's in a vessel, then you say he's impure. Even if it's, in, if it's in doubt, if you touch this creeping thing that's creeping in the water in a vessel, then you're impure. Okay. 
the rabbis learn, if any source of impurity was carried or dragged, a person was carrying or dragging a dead shadow, it's a dead mouse. That's not right? Yeah, and And the question is if somebody touched it. So we are strict and we say that you're tummy. If it touched a person or an object, we say that we are strict and we say, yeah, that he did touch it in his stomach. Why? Because it's as if they are at rest. Yes, I'm dragging it and I'm schlepping it, but on its own, it's really resting. So, so we don't treat it like a floating. Here we said that a floating tumah, a floating tumah is pure. When in doubt, you're pure. And if it's in the ground, if it's in doubt, you're pure. So why don't you treat this like a floating tumor? You're being schlepped and you're being dragged. So he says, no. He says, we don't treat it. We don't treat it like a floating tumor. We treat it like it's in the ground. On its own, it's resting. A person is schlepping it. So therefore, when in doubt, if it's in a private domain, you're, you're, you're strict in the stomach. But if you've thrown into the air, and then we're in doubt, maybe while it was in the air, mid-air, it touched, touched a person or touched an object, then sveik and toir. Then when in doubt, you're pure. Because here, we do consider it like it's, like it's floating. Why? Even though it's the person who threw it, what's the difference in a human being dragging or carrying something and throwing? So he says, no, when you throw something, it's considered like a floating object. And we already learned whenever there's a floating object, a creeping object, it's impure. If it's floating, it's, when you're in doubt, it's pure. Chus, the exception is, an olive amount of a human corpse. The leniencies of a, of a floating object doesn't apply to a corpse. That's what, we, that's what the Mishnah says. It only applies, the B'rai says, only applies to a sheritz, but not to a mace, a corpse of a human being. So even if it's throwing is considered like floating, when in doubt, you're strict. And anything that forms a roof over a source of tumma. If a toy object was thrown in the air, and we're not sure if it acted as a oil, if it acted as a roof over a human corpse. So then we say it's tummy. Because again, anything that involves any tumma by way of a roof, not through contact, which is a mace, or anything else, which is a oil, which is, in other words, when, do we, when are we lenient of the floating? It's only if the tumor comes by touching it. You're not sure if you touched it or you didn't touch it. Then we say you're lenient. But with the tumor is so strict that even without touching it, just being under the same roof, hovering over it, acting as a roof, you become tummy. There we are strict even when in doubt. Hold and anything that contaminates from above as from below. 
a zav, a man who has gonorrhea or nida, or a woman after birth, you communicate to him, or even not through direct contact. Let's say you have a whole bunch of mattresses, one on top of the other. Yeah. And the bottom one is resting on the bottom, the body of a zav. Then even the top utensil is contaminated. All of them. All of them. The same thing is below. From below and also from above. If there's a boulder on top of a pile of mattresses on the floor and a zav sits on the boulder. All the mattresses, it could be a thousand mattresses, even the last one, they're all tummy. That means from above. So he says, we don't, any tumor which is so strict that the, you impart tumor even not through direct contact, you don't have the leniency also of a floating, you don't have any, any of these leniencies. Lasuya comes out, zav zav. What if I have a corpse in a container? And the container was floating on the water. Mao, what's the law? We have a question whether someone touched the corpse or not. We go according to the container. And therefore... Therefore, it's a question of floating, and we're lenient. A what? No, the clea is floating. The clea is floating. No, let's say the corpse is in a bathtub. Well, it's floating in the water. In the bathtub, floating in the water, right? Yeah, the keli, the, the, the keli, yeah, the bucket's floating in the water. The keli is floating. It's floating. So therefore, the person is tired. We go according to the corpse, and since it's resting in the floor of the container, it's not considered floating. Saying when you exclude the mace, is it because maybe he hovered over the mace? Like the, the, the corpse that was floating in the mission, the corpse was, he went to the dip in the water in the, in the cave, and there was a corpse floating. So it's very probable, possible that he, he hovered over the corpse without knowing. So since it's a tumus oil, it's not by direct contact, therefore when in doubt, you're, you're strict. But if it's a question of, let's say for sure he didn't touch, maybe he knows for sure that he didn't hover over the, over the, over the corpse. The question is, did he touch the vessel? So, so the question is, the vessel is floating, so therefore you should be, you should be lenient. Or maybe not, since the corpse is lying still in the vessel, so it's not considered like floating, and therefore you should be strict. If you want to tell me, we don't, we don't go after the vessel. Yes, the vessel is floating, but the, the corpse is lying still in the vessel. What if maize, or Gabi shed its mouth? What if... There's a corpse on top of the dead mouse. Or a carcass. A carcass of a creeping animal. And the sheretz is floating in the water. Yeah, right. So what do we say? Since the tomb of the sheretz is only until the evening. It's only one day. In the evening you're pure. We're touching the corpse makes you impure for seven days. It's as if the tumor is placed in the container. 
It's as if it's resting in the container. Perhaps it's one thick tumor that's floating. It's like one mass that's floating. So even the mace is also floating. So therefore, when in doubt, if you touched it, if you're certain you didn't hover over it, just a question whether you touched it or not, you should be lenient and say that you didn't touch it because it's a floating tumor. Or maybe not. Consider the maze as being as being stationary, because it's a much stricter tumor, and it's float. It's the shenets that's floating. In other words, do you look at it as two separate entities? On one hand, they're both like they both impart impurity, so therefore you can look at them as one chunk, as one one piece, or maybe not, since they did two different levels, right? Two different categories. So it's the lo- lesser category that's floating, and, and the other one is separate. The separate, if you look at it as separate, the, the corpse is not floating. The corpse is just lying still on, on the shed. In Tim and if you want to answer me on this question, command the the it's as if the corpse, or the part of the corpse, it's as if it's, it's lying still in the vessel. And therefore, he's definitely Tomei. Because what's placed inside a floating container is not floating. And therefore, since you're in doubt whether you touch the corpse, the corpse is not floating, and therefore you're Tomei. What if What if you have a creeping, a, car- a carcass of a creeping creature, the eight creeping creatures, on top of the carcass of an animal? and the is and since both of them we only impure till the evening, you go to the mikvah in the evening you're pure. Tumas michti is like one. We consider it as if one tumma, one category, and therefore one chunk, and therefore they're both floating. Perhaps since they have different minimum quantities, the car- carcass is like an olive. You need an olive's value. But the sheretz contaminates even if it's as small as a lentil, a lot smaller than an olive. So therefore, since it has two different, like we consider it therefore as a separate category, so therefore we consider the sheretz as if it's station, it's stationary, separate, and it's not floating. And therefore, if it's in doubt whether you touch the sheretz, it's considered stationary and should be strict. What if one sheds one creeping creature on top of the other? They're dead. Here you can argue, surely it's like one, since they both have the same laws, so it's considered like the same category, so it's like one chunk that, that's floating, so both of them are considered floating. But since they're separate from each other, it's two two different crawling creatures. Therefore, they're not considered as one single mass. That even though it has the same shear when it comes to the laws of Tumma, but since it's two separate creatures, we consider it separate, and the one on top is considered stationary, not floating, and therefore, if you're in doubt, if you touched it, you're strict and you're impure. What if... What if a crawling creature... It's dead on top of an avela, a carcass that is deteriorated into mush, and the mush is floating in the water. Since it's, it's mush, it's considered like liquid. Therefore, 
it doesn't separate in the shadows and the water, liquid and liquid. So the liquid doesn't separate, so it's as if the shadow is floating directly on the liquid and water. But nevertheless, since it's food that became liquid, it's considered separate. So the shadow is not floating, it's floating on mush that used to be solid, that became liquid. And that's what's floating on the water. You're going to want to say that it's considered food since it started out as solid and then and then it turned into mush. We consider it as food and therefore it does separate between the water and the sheretz. What if sheretz is floating on semen? It's floating in the water. Because semen itself is also a source of impurity. But does it separate in the shadows and the water like a solid or is it treated like liquid? Semen is liquid. Shadows. If you're going to want to argue that since semen is ejected by the body, it's treated like a solid food, which is distinct from water. It's not like urine. Urine collects in the bladder and then it's expelled. Semen, however, doesn't collect. It's expelled on production. So you can view it as... So if you can't view it as a water-like liquid. Urine is water. Here, however, it's considered as food, as solid. That's expelled by the body at the, t- at the time. It's created and expelled by the body, produced at the time. So then the question is, what if the shed is on top of purification water which is mixed, mixed with the ashes of the red heifer and the purification water is floating on top of regular water? So the ashes, the ashes make the water a little thicker than regular water. So therefore, maybe it separates, it separates from the regular water to the to the shedits, and therefore the shedits is stationary, and it's the the mechadas that that that's that's floating. On the other hand, purification water itself generates tumma. So therefore, since it generates tumma, maybe it should be considered like one chunk of impurity, a source of impurity. And therefore, then, if, you, if you're in doubt, if you touch the shadow, you should be lenient. The Gemara answers, We don't know. Take All these things remain unresolved. We, we accept it. That that's, so the Allah is that if a shadow is floating on a vessel, or, and the vessel is floating, but the, the, the shadow is in the vessel, or it was on top of a corpse, or on a carcass, or on semen that was floating, or on a, car, on, a, on, a, on a carcass that became a dissolved carcass, that became mush. It's like it's it's stationary, and if in doubt, you're tamed. It does separate in the water, and so it's 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 a of it's the semen that's floating, not the shed that's on top of it. But if it's a shed that's on top of a shed, it's one shed that's on top of the other. We consider it like one thick tuma, and it's considered as if the top one is, is floating. And therefore, when you're in doubt, you're pure. How about if it's on the water and the ashes of the red heifer? It's floating on top of the water of the red heifer. 
Then we don't know. We don't know. Remains a question. And therefore, when in doubt, you're pure. Some say no. In doubt, you have to be strict. So, because the Rambam hold that Suffolk Tumma, when you say that it's Suffolk, whenever you're in doubt biblically, you have to be strict. That itself is rabbinic. So, when the Gemara says, Teku, you're in doubt, you can be lenient. <laughs> Since we don't know, be lenient. We say you're pure. Others say no. When a biblical doubt, biblically, you have to be strict. If it's a biblical doubt, in this case, you have to consider them impure. Very continue on 64b. A nazir and someone making the Pesach offering, who walked in a grave of the deep, that was without them knowing, an unknown grave, on the seventh day of purification. A nazir who becomes contaminated, right, from the dead, he has to first purify himself for seven days and sprinkle on the third and the seventh day. And he goes to the mikveh. And um, and then he would he would do his Nazirish ritual. He had to bring the three sacrifices: the head shaving on the seventh day, and the sacrifices on the eighth day. And then start all over again. Then he has to forfeit all of the days of Nazirish. He has to start from scratch again. And then after he does it, he finds out. That he turns out that he was Tommy, he, may, he, may, he, he became contaminated with the tumor of the deep. He walked over a grave where no one knew that there was anyone buried there. Or someone became purified from, from a, a, a corpse impurity and already brought his Pesach offering. And then he turns out, he finds out that he stepped over on the seventh day of his purification. He stepped over a, a corpse that was buried in a grave that no one knew so anyone was buried there. Oh. Both of these cases, like we said, tomb of the deep, that you find out after you've already brought the sacrifice and after you've already done the purification, you're pure. Because the tomb of the deep is now powerful enough to cause you to forfeit. Masir Rabbi said, Rabbi asked, What if he went down to purify himself in the tomb of the dead? Then he's Tommy. Shecheska's Tommy, Tommy. Because someone who's Tommy is presumed Tommy. Shecheska's Tommy, Someone who's pure is presumed Tommy. So the question is, in other words, the Mishnah says, our Mishnah says, that when do we say that tomb of the deep, tomb of the deep, you don't forfeit, you don't do it over again, you're good to go. It's only if you were pure. If you concluded the Naziris of purity. But what if you concluded the Naziris of impurity? Since you were never pure, and it turns out that you, you, you were not pure because you came in contact with a corpse, the tomb of the deep, therefore you remain Tamil. It's only if you started out as pure, then we say you remain pure. So how can Rabbi Mnuna go against the Mishnah? And he says that a, a, a Nazir who was Tamil was in the seventh. Which Nazir is seven? A Nazir doesn't have seven days. The only Nazir has a seventh day is a Nazir who was pure and then he became impure and he has to count seven days and then he has to purify himself on the seventh day and has to shave and go to the mikveh and then the next day he brings sacrifices. But the mission states clearly in this case that the tomb of the deep 
does not help him. Tum of the deep, even tum of the deep, he remains impure and he has to start over again. I agree with you in the case of a Nazir who was lacking the head shaving of Tumor. When he encountered Tumor of the Deep, he didn't yet shave his head. And you're right. And then it turns out that he, he came in contact with the Tumor of the Deep. Then you say, since he was impure, he remains impure. But if, here we're talking about a case, I'm talking about a case where he turns out he became impure after he shaved his head. On the seventh day, he sprinkled the second set of the, 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 the ashes, and he went to the mikvah, and he shaved his head. And then, and then he came in contact with the tomb of the deep, unbeknownst to him. In that case, we say that he is pure, he remains pure. I agree with you in the case of one who made his Pesach offering and discovered that after he went to the mikveh on the seventh day of his purification, he encountered the tomb of the deep. He's not lacking anything. And therefore, since he brought his past the Pesach, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to bring the Pesach shame. What do you mean? But he's still lacking sunset. He's still not pure. When he became, when he came in contact with Tum of the Deep, he wasn't, he wasn't pure. He was still impure because he was not pure until sunset of the seventh day. So what difference does it make if he became in contact with the corpse impurity before he went to the mikvah? After he went to the mikvah, he's still impure. So he's in the state of impurity, and we should say the state of impurity should continue. The sun sets on its own. When, when it comes to an action that he has to take, since there's no guarantee he's going to take the action, so we say until he takes the action, he's presumed impure. But if he doesn't have to take any action, something that happens automatically, independent of the person, so we can already presume that he's pure. He did everything in his power. Now it's just a matter of time, for time to take its course. Inevitably the sun will set, so therefore we already consider him presumptively pure. And since he came in contact with the corpse, with the deep impurity, after he was presumptively pure, therefore he's not, he remains pure and his carbon Pesach is valid. Abaya retracted his, his disagreement and he agrees with the Rabbi. Tani will learn, but I say, as if she miscarried on the day of completion, she brings an additional sacrifice. It says that a woman who gives birth, right? So she counts, if it's a girl, she counts 80 days. First 14 days, and then she's impure, right, 7 to 14, and then either 30, either 33, either 33, in the case of a male, or 60, uh, 64, and uh, 66 in the case of a female. And what happens if on the 81st day, when she's, when she's completed her purification, she has, she has a miscarriage. You know, she came pregnant right away, and then she had a miscarriage. So 
So the Pasik says, Tav. So then she has to bring an additional sacrifice. In other words, the sacrifice that she brings for, for her birth doesn't cover the impurity and the sacrifice that she has to bring for the, for the miscarriage. She has to bring an additional sacrifice. If she miscarried before the completion day, she doesn't have to bring an additional sacrifice. It's covered by the first sacrifice. Well, before day 81. She had a miscarriage, day 79. Even day 80, it's covered. That sacrifice covers the child that was born and the miscarriage. But, on, but if she miscarried on the 81st day, the day that she's ready bringing the sacrifices for the birth of the child, then she has to bring a separate sacrifice for that child. <laughs> You would think she doesn't bring an additional sacrifice for delivery that occurred before the completion of the day. She brings an additional sacrifice for delivery of a child that occurred after the completion. The completion of her day of On the day of the completion, she brings a separate sacrifice. For miscarriage, before the completion of the day, she does not bring. Doesn't have to bring a separate sacrifice. What if? What if? What if she has a second miscarriage? But after day eighty, but still within within the time for the for the for the for the miscarriage. Miscarriage is considered like a birth. Yeah, it could be. And and the other one was miscarried later. No, or she has relations again with the husband. She has relations again with the husband. Only only fourteen days she has to be separated if it's a girl. So then she can ha- then she has relations. Even if she's gushing blood, she can have relations. So she has relations. And then she has she becomes pregnant again. Then she has another miscarriage. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be within the first eighty days of the child that was born. Any time if it's within the eighty days of the next one, then then one one sacrifice covers it all. That's what the Bryce is saying. One sacrifice covers it all. If it's within the days, even if it's not the first 80 days, if it's the second 80 days, third 80 days, it could be many, many, multiple, but it still is, each one is within the next following 80 days. It's one long continuation. You only do one sacrifice. So Rav Kanda explains why. Since she can't even bring the first sacrifice yet, because she immediately miscarried, and she became impure again, since she can't bring the first sacrifice. So as long as she didn't have an opportunity yet to bring the first sacrifice, it's all covered by that one single sacrifice. So then when she becomes eligible to bring a sacrifice, it covers all the birth, all the miscarriages that happen in the interim. It could be over an extended time, it doesn't matter. So Hasam Nami there too. head of Shem, you can ask the same question. In the case of miscarriage of the eighty-one, she's still lacking sunset. Why do you say that if it's in day eighty-one, then if it's in day eighty-one, then she does have to bring a separate sacrifice. 
why she's still lacking sunset so it should still be within the completion considered within the completion what happens is she gave birth to her girl she's tummy for 14 days then she goes to the mikveh she's allowed to her husband for the next 66 days and she's considered like a long tul yoyim a tul yoyim someone who goes to the mikveh in the day and has to wait till the evening that, that extends 66 days the 80th day in the evening now she becomes pure and the next day she brings a sacrifice what do you mean day 81 you have to wait till the evening for what talking about a case where she didn't go to the mikveh after 14 days she didn't go to the mikveh she's going to the mikveh in the 81 now she has to wait till day 81 and nevertheless the Bryce said that if she has a miscarriage in the afternoon she uh, she doesn't she has to bring a separate sacrifice why She's still, she's still uh, impure. She's missing, she's lacking. How do Shemesh? Abaya answered. Rav's answer. So we see that Abaya accepted Rav's, Rav's premise. Shim Shememela Arva. She still has a status of pure. She's considered status of pure because the sun sets in its own. She did everything in her power. Now it will happen automatically. Yes. Okay, okay, we'll stop over here. The next Mishnah tomorrow will continue with the next Mishnah.